Hey, Helicopter Podcast listeners, this is John Gray from the Hangar Z Podcast. I want to let you all know Vertical Fowler's Spring 2024 issue is now available. In our Spring 2024 issue, we head over to Leon County for a look at how law enforcement agencies in Northern Florida are combining forces to enhance crime fighting. We also visit Metro Aviation in Shreveport, Louisiana to learn about the work behind installing a Metro interior in an Airbus helicopter. We connect with the experts in the search and rescue sector for an update on the latest trends, training, and tools using helicopter rescue missions. And finally, we catch up with the Los Angeles Police Department's Aviation Unit for a look at its training programs. All this, plus highlights of some new products and services that made their debuts at Heli Expo 2024. To check out the latest issue of Vertical Valor, go to verticalvalor.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to find magazines. Enjoy. Hey guys, Halsey Schreider with the Helicopter Podcast, and this week I sit down with longtime friend and good friend, Zach Robinson. Perfect last name for the helicopter industry as well. No relation to Robinson Helicopters, but we still love him, and he's our favorite, Robinson. Uh, This week's episode, we talk about what got him into training, what drew him to helicopters. It's a little bit of a different path, I gotta tell you. It wasn't quite the same path that I had, uh, but nonetheless, he's here. And he's doing very well in the industry, working both at Celicopter and now a full-time air medical pilot at Air Evac Life Team. We talk about some of the hurdles. Uh, he had some early on career hurdles in starting as a CFI, and I think it's really interesting to kind of hear his side of it and how he overcame those hurdles and uh, to get to where he's at now. So this is an awesome episode. Zach is an awesome dude, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed recording it. As always, a special thanks to Celicopter for producing this podcast. Specializing in helicopter evaluations, faster sales, and superb service, Celicopter is the go-to agency for clients expecting immediate results. Celicopter's team of helicopter professionals are the best in the business. Using their aviation expertise, a nationwide network, and a proprietary 76-step listing strategy, Celicopter will convert your listing from Mayday to Payday. Ready to get started? Text HELICOPTER to 1-855-CELICOPTER. That's HELICOPTER to 1-855-735-5226. And a Celicopter pilot agent will reach out. Celicopter. List it. Sell it. Done. Hey, what's going on, guys? It's Halsey Scheider with the Helicopter Podcast. I am super stoked to be recording another episode and even more stoked to be doing it with my good buddy, Longtime friend and now colleague of, man, going on two years, I think, at Celicopter, Mr. Zach Robinson. Zach, what's happening? What's going on, Halsey? Happy to be here. Excited about this. Yeah, man. Glad to have you. We've, we've been talking about it for a long time, so I'm just glad that we're finally doing it. And um, if you're listening and you're wondering, uh, Zach is uh, the distant grandchild of Frank Robinson. That's why the last name is the same, Robinson. Um, actually that's a lie, but we wish he was because that would be pretty cool. There may be some connection. I still need to do an ancestry.com or 23 and me to see if there's gotta be a connection. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I would probably back. do it. I, um, my guess is, is that the Robinson name family tree, I should say, it's probably worth some money. So, you know, you might want to get on the ancestry check and, you know, at least make sure that you're not entitled to, you know, any inheritance. No, there seriously may be some distant connection. I mean, every <laughs> single person I talk to that's ever flown a Robinson asked me that question. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely pretty, look into it. It's pretty fitting. It's you. I would say that you have the perfect last name for a Robinson uh, or for being a helicopter guy. Uh, yeah. So it's just kind of ironic. Uh, well, Zach, again, thanks for joining. Uh, just so excited to chat with you today kind of learn about your experience. A lot of our listeners are, are guys and gals that are just kind of getting into it. And so they look at old timers like us as kind of OGs uh, and, you know, really like hearing about how we got to where we are. 
I got a shaking dog in the back. So if you all can hear that, I apologize. The caller is loud. Uh, but hey, it is what it is. Uh, so yeah, Zach, we're, we're excited to learn more about your journey. And, and honestly, I know your journey a little bit. You know, we've had the chance to obviously talk about it before. Your journey is a little bit different. You know, my, my journey and a lot of my guests, I think I've had one other guest that wasn't, I say, born with the itch to fly. But, you know, for myself, I was born, you know, I was looking up at the sky as a little kid. I, I always knew that I wanted to be a pilot. Short stint of wanting to be a firefighter. Um, but that was short-lived. Went back to pilot. Then I wanted to be an Albertsons checkout guy, but also still a pilot. So always wanted to be a pilot of some sort. For you, growing up, being a pilot wasn't necessarily something you thought of, right? It wasn't a huge goal for me or a dream necessarily like it was for you um my dad was my hero growing up like most people he's a businessman he's been with the same company for like 30 years uh very successful i always saw myself following in his footsteps and you know being in an office wearing a suit and tie that kind of thing um yeah i was i was always fascinated with helicopters but i didn't realistically look at uh myself doing that as a profession um it wasn't until I got serious about a career in business, uh, going to college, you know, studying accounting, management information systems, and seeing what that was all about, uh, that I realized I would be absolutely miserable in life uh, if I was in front of a computer screen every day. Um, that's when I started looking into other options at about age 21. I mean, the, the irony is, is now that you've been working with Celicopter, I there's quite a bit of <laughs> computer time. So hopefully you're yeah. not too, too unhappy. Uh, no, no, it's completely different. Uh, you know, as, as long as it's, I'm involved in helicopters in some way, it's, you know, which is my true passion. Um, yeah. You know, no, it just, all kind of connects in the long run. Perfect. Uh, yeah. I'm just messing with you. Um, so you said you're about 21, you're, you're going to school. Obviously you had enough of, you know, and good for you for recognizing it. A lot of people have that feeling of, Hey, you know, maybe this isn't for me, you know, and, um, and they don't do anything about it. They just continue on the path and then they go and they work the job of whatever they're trained for and, you know, maybe live a bit of a stale life and some unhappiness. So it's good that you recognized it. What, what led to helicopters? I know that you've told me in the past that you're one of the lucky few, uh, and we hate you for this, that you live very close to the air medical base that you fly out of. In fact, as a kid, I think you would look at that helicopter. Is that something that just kind of sparked, you know, when you're 21? Hey, man, that sounds kind of fun. Thinking about that, seeing that helicopter, or was it someone that helped kind of spur you? Yeah, like I said, you know, I, I knew I was looking for other options. And, and again, I think to ask an 18, 19-year-old kid what they want to do for the rest of their lives is, is, is a crazy concept to me. It works for a lot of people, for some people. I think as they get up into their twenties and grow and learn who they are, that may change 10 times. Totally. Um, so when, once I decided it was, it was going to be something else for me, it was actually my folks, uh, my parents that, that came up with the, the idea. Um, they influenced me to start looking into it. Both my grandfathers were in the air force. So there's some aviation history in the family. Um, and once I really started digging into to helicopters and the process and flight training, um, it did really, really click. Um, you know, it, it became a dream and a passion very quickly once I decided that that's what I wanted to do. It just hadn't been before that point in my life. Um, but yeah, uh, age age 20 was when I started making the, the preparation to, to get started with flight training. Um, my folks, to answer your question, it was probably my folks that, that influenced me to, to take that leap. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, like you said, you know, you're young um, it's a crazy concept. In fact, I don't know about you, but when I was a flight instructor, a lot of my students were, you know, uh, men and women that were in their thirties, even early forties that had worked a career, uh, they weren't super stoked about. They were always looking up and, you know, seeing helicopters fly around and finally got to a point in life where they made that decision. Uh, for you, that happened a lot earlier. And obviously for me, it also, you know, I started flight training early, but again, I always kind of knew that was going to be my path, not helicopters. I thought I was an airplane guy, but right. helicopters kind of, uh, they're awesome, right? I mean, you go and fly a helicopter for the first time and it's pretty mind blowing. So 
from from the time of your parents kind of helping you point you into a new direction of helicopters what was the time frame of getting started with flight training what was your first flight like what was that experience like do you remember that so we actually went down to uh titusville at uh bristow academy okay uh they were still flying all schweitzers at that time i'm not sure if they still do but uh, my mom drove me down there uh or we flew down there rather just just so you could check it out too and anything my mom has ever you know suggested i do in my life has been the right suggestion and i've always you know heed to her advice um i got there you know, the, the guy, it was basically a demo flight, uh, showed me around the air, aircraft, uh, took off, and, and like most people, I was instantly hooked. Um, doors off, you know, down there in warm, sunny Florida. You could see, see the ocean, see the, the forest down there, and, um, you know, guy let me take the controls for a little bit. He showed me an auto-rotation. Um, and if I wasn't hooked before that moment, I was all in uh, after that flight, and I said, this is, this is it. So... I've always said, you know, flying helicopters is kind of the most fun you can have with clothes on. You know, it's uh, an incredible machine, you know, and it does. I remember my first flight like it was yesterday. Uh, And I had airplane experience going into it. So I've been used to being in small aircraft and being flying and being a pilot. Uh, But the helicopter was such a different experience. I mean, it felt like the helicopter was this crazy extension of my body. You know, and then as you learn to fly and get better and better at flying, even as a CFI probably was where I was at my max ability of like maneuvers, you know, I felt like, you know, you were just putting on the helicopter, like a pair of pants and it was just, you know, an extension, uh, you know, just muscle memory and being able to do uh, pretty cool and fun maneuvers. Uh, Nowadays, who knows, man, you know, I'm more of a desk jockey now. I'm not sure how good my pull downs would be in a 22, especially I'm, I'm sure I could pull it off if I had to. So you looked at Bristow. I don't think they're around anymore to answer your question, by the way. Right. Um, obviously, they were doing Schweitzers. You didn't go to Bristow. Where did you end up going, and what steered you away from doing Bristow? So Bristow actually had a wait list uh, for students, and that was going to be, I believe, four to six months before I could even start there. Uh, so we started looking at other options, and, and Bristow was also my number one because I wanted to be close to home, close to Atlanta. Um, the next one we found was Hillsboro, Hillsboro Aviation at the time. Um, obviously it was all the way across the country, but they sent us that demo video of what flight training would be like. And it was the coolest freaking video I've ever seen. <laughs> I um, think I remember that. Did they have like, um, like interviews of past students that were now professionally flying? There was like a PHI guy, a Columbia oh, yeah. helicopters guy testimonials um you know you could see the mountains and the, the cascades in the back of the the flying videos and i liked that they were flying r22s and instead of the schweitzer and um you know that it was once i decided on that and they said they could take me right away um i was also really excited about uh getting out of my comfort zone uprooting my life completely and and moving out to the west coast and and starting that process it right when i turned 21 that was that was really what made me go from, from boy to man, um, completely leaving my family behind. And, um, we didn't even, you know, visit really. We said, yes, sign me up. And, and I moved out there. Was so, it Wayne Moore at the time? Was Wayne Moore the admissions guy? Uh, it was probably Daniel by your time. Daniel, Daniel Jones. Yeah. You missed, he was you the missed a real gym. The, the really? guy before Daniel was an older guy named Wayne Moore. And he was the guy that enrolled me because I also went to Hillsborough. And, uh, man, he was just a, a bundle of joy, you know, very happy, kind of would make some weird noises when you walk by him in the hall, kind of guy, kind of a guy that makes you smile, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it just got me thinking. This is a little bit of a sidebar, but, again, a lot of our listeners are, are new to flying or thinking about getting into flying. And I think that this could be a good segue real fast just to talk a little bit about you know how you kind of got lucky that Bristol had had a wait list. Uh, nothing against the Schweitzer. I personally love flying the Schweitzer. I don't have a ton of time, maybe a couple hundred hours. Hillsboro had one Schweitzer. But the majority of flight schools used the Robinson R22, R44. And 
because of the SFAR, SFAR 73, if you're listening and you, you're not familiar with the SFAR 73, it's a special federal aviation regulation specific to the R-22 and the R-44. And without going too deep into it, essentially requires higher training requirements to operate and act as a PIC, and then even higher requirements to act as a flight instructor. And so if you end up doing all of your training in an aircraft that's not a Robinson aircraft, then it may be very difficult for you to get a job uh, as a CFI, since most flight schools use the R-22, R-44. Uh, first off, you won't be super competitive because the other guys they're interviewing are probably, you know, higher time Robinson pilots. And by higher time, they did their training. So a couple hundred hours. And to even qualify, I think it's, you know, what, 25 hours in, in aircraft uh, in the R-22 and uh, in the R-44 as well to then go ahead and instruct. So you can get all your training done in a Schweitzer or an Instrum or whatever, and then you still would have to go pay for additional time to, to be qualified per the SFAR. So you kind of lucked out, Zach, you know, uh, doing the training. Absolutely. And, and again, anybody listening, I'd highly recommend, you know, doing your training and hopefully eventually instructing at a flight school that flies Robinson's. Um, couldn't imagine a better aircraft to, to learn in, to train in. Um, like you said uh, earlier, probably one of the most favorite parts of my flying career so far was, you know, once I, I hit that thousand hour mark uh, PIC and, you know, you're, you have a healthy level of confidence at that point. Uh, and your flights, your flight skills are so honed in. It is, it feels like an extension of your body. It feels like your body is really flying and every tiny little movement you make on the controls, uh, it's going to do exactly what you want. I miss flying the Robinson. I really do. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of Robinson hate out there. We've talked about it on the podcast before. And, you know, my personal stance is that, you know, I, I have a lot of successful flight hours in both the R-22 and the R-44 and flight hours in the R-66. I think that the machine has limitations. Uh, but then again, all helicopters have limitations. If you exceed the limitations of the aircraft that you're flying, then you could be asking for trouble. And with the Robinson airframes, you know, things could uh, maybe spiral out of control a little bit quicker. But I think by and large, I agree, you know, for a training platform, not only is it cost effective, um, but it's hard to fly, you know, the 22, especially. So if you're learning to do auto rotations in an R22, doing an auto rotation in a bell or uh, Eurocopter or whatever is a lot easier in my opinion, you know, Much easier. um, and just almost every maneuver is just a little bit easier in a non-Robinson. And so I think it's good that you're kind of starting on a more difficult platform. And I think honestly that Robinson, you know, changed the face of civil aviation. Uh, you know, I don't think guys like you and I, civilian trained pilots, would necessarily have the opportunity or the financial support to be able to do flight training without an affordable option, you know, like the R-22 and R-44. And I know, you know, I don't know if Frank, if, if what his grand vision was, you know, I don't know if, if he thought that, man, you know, 10, 20 years from now, all the flight schools are going to be using this, you know, um, but that's sure how it's turned out. Absolutely. There's been some competition with the Cabri that kind of fizzled, you know, um, Seems like tried and true, good old R-22 and R-44 are still pretty large training platforms. So when you're it's at- It's just so established now. Yeah, totally. So you're at Hillsborough. Um, how long did it take you to get through your training? So it took me about two years to go all the way through CFI. Um, I started in November of 2012. And one thing that that demo video did not advertise about Hillsboro was Pacific Northwest weather. Uh, Rain nearly every day throughout the winter, um, and you're really struggling to get good flying weather. Um, That delayed my training a a good bit, I'd say, at least in the two winters I was there. Um, You know, when when you're learning and you're in those initial stages, if you, you make great progress, but then you have to take five days off from flying, and you don't get that practice and repetition uh, that, that you need so much, it's, it's easy to, to backtrack a little bit and have to pick back up. But um, about two years total, 
but I wouldn't have I wouldn't have changed it for the world. Getting that weather experience as well early on, knowing how to read forecasts, we'd rather read weather reports and flight planning that kind of thing. Uh, Hillsborough is fantastic for that. Yeah, I mean, I think every region has its its positives and its negatives. Sure. You know, and for me, you know, I'm, I'm from Oregon, right? So that was convenient. You know, I grew up 30 minutes from Hillsboro. And so having such a large helicopter school in my backyard really worked out. Kind of a no-brainer for me. But now that obviously I've been in the industry for a long time and I've experienced other areas of flying and doing training at, I love the Pacific Northwest, specifically that Hillsboro area for the off airports. I feel like we were so lucky to go out to the West Practice area and just have unlimited off airport, you know, confined areas, pinnacles. Uh, you know, not only were, was it great training to, to be able to have that at your fingertips, uh, you know, 15 minute flight to the West, uh, but it was beautiful. It was so fun. Beautiful. You know, some of the best memories I have is doing off airport uh, instruction, you know, as a CFI. And just bouncing from spot to spot in the West practice area. And weather is certainly a contention. You know, you go to somewhere like Florida or Texas, you know, you're probably going to get more flyable weather days. But you're not going to get the off airport experience that you get, you know, or that we got at Hillsboro, in my opinion. Um, sure. And then some of the trade-offs is, you know, flying in a super hot environment like Texas say, or Florida, you know, hot and humid. You get a little bit better with maybe performance. You know, it's pretty cold and, you know, uh, fairly low density altitudes up in Hillsboro. So you don't get a ton of high, high altitude, you know, experience, you know, during the summer it gets a little warm, but, you know, definitely give and take weather is a struggle. Um, I took about two years of, to, to get my, my ratings too, but my two years was more predicated on uh, my, um, my priorities weren't necessarily sure. always straight. You know, uh, I started, I think I started in 08 at Hillsboro and I was 18 or 19, you know, so I definitely was not uh, always thinking um, in the right direction, I should say. But um, so I guess when you got there, was I, was I a flight instructor already? You were a flight instructor. <clears throat> um, I think you were assistant lead. Is that what they called it? Assistant, yeah, the assistant chief. Don't forget assistant it. Chief. Don't forget the title, bro. Okay, I earned yeah. Don't forget it. I remember. Yeah, you're you were uh, you were nearing the end of your tenure at Hillsboro. Okay. Um, we yeah, crossed paths a few times, and and then then you were gone uh, while I was still in my training. Did you and I ever do any flying together, stage checks or anything like that? I think we did uh, one stage check. I think you did like my private stage two. Uh, I believe I have to double check that, but. You know, that's what's coming to mind. That's awesome. How'd it go? Yeah. Uh, just fine. Awesome. Private was great. Yeah, I feel yeah. like I remember something. I felt like you were very professional. You know, I, and you were working dispatch. Um, and I remember, you know, seeing you in dispatch and I, maybe flying together. I had a good sense. You know, I felt like, you know, this guy seems pretty put together. Um, you know, and you carried yourself uh, well, uh, I, I figured, you know, honestly, you were going to most likely be a, a, a shoe in, you know, to, to work at Hillsborough as a flight instructor. And if you're new to flight training and you're getting into flying, you know, one of the best things that could happen, I should say, at least the easiest thing, maybe not the best is that you get hired at the flight school that you do your training at. Uh, it's certainly the most convenient. That wasn't the case for you, Zach, correct? That was not the case. Um, yeah, and to add to that, uh, to any potential new helicopter flight students listening, um, some of the best advice I got when I was first starting out is that day one of your training is the interview process for that flight school. As soon as you come in, you know, it's a small community, whatever flight school you go to, people are going to get to know you, get to know your tendencies, uh, how you, you hold yourself and and conduct your business and everything like that. They're going to remember that all the way through. So ideally, yes, you do want to work at the flight school you train at and just keep in mind uh, everything you do, there will be uh, leading up to that point. When 
Um, and I know that really it came down to more of a numbers game, not really anything against you or your personality. Like I said, my impression of you, and I remember we had talked several years later, you know, when you wanted to learn about air evac, we chatted. And, you know, again, I remember getting on the phone, remembering who you were, just remembering like, I don't really know this guy, but I would be happy to give him a recommendation for air evac because I remember him carrying himself well. So, you know, obviously getting the Hillsborough job wasn't uh, anything against you or your flying and things like that. But being early on in your career <clears throat> and having that happen, did that hurt? It hurt really bad. Um, I was, I think I was supposed to be a shoe in. Um, I think that I was supposed to, to get that job from, from the beginning. Um, I did very well in my interview on the ground. I did well in my instruction on the ground. Uh, it was the flight portion of my interview that I botched. I was extremely nervous. Uh, went out in very windy conditions um, and tried to do, uh, well, I, basically I botched my auto twice. It was windy, gusty, uh, bad weather. And my interviewer, uh, Dan Docker, uh, you know, asked before the flight, what do you think, can we go do this? And I'd already declined two days prior because of weather. And it was getting to a point where like, I'm pushing this off so much. Yes, we can get out there and do what needs to be done. And I rushed it. I uh, got out in windy conditions that I, we shouldn't have been necessarily uh, doing it, at least to give myself the best chance. Auto rotations. Um, botched that twice. And unfortunately, Dan had to pass on me. That was actually, it was extremely painful but turned out to be the best thing that could have possibly happened. Um, Dan, great guy, awesome guy, uh, recommended me to Quantum Helicopters in Chandler, Arizona. Um, flew down there for an interview the next week. Uh, got that job, did, had a great ground interview and flight interview. Uh, they hired me, that was a week after uh, Hillsboro. And I moved down to, to Phoenix uh, two weeks later. And I think it's great. You know, I think it's, um, I think it's important, you know, specifically if you're early on in your journey or you're just about to finish and, and you're approaching this time, you know, that you're about to get interviewed, maybe become a CFI or whatever it's at, you know, first and foremost, it's a nerve wracking process. So you definitely want to put yourself in the best position for success, you know, so if the conditions aren't perfect or whatnot you know, you, you definitely want to maybe make a call of, hey, let's let's try again tomorrow. Uh, but, but also just knowing that, you know, in life, whether it's helicopters or not, not everything always goes your way, you know. Um, we talk a lot about that in our sales business, you know, Zach can attest. It's not always going to, it's not always going to fall in your lap or go, or go the way that you want, but you just keep, put your head down. And, and you move on to the next opportunity. You know, if you do, if you wallow too much in the failure or the perceived failure, then you're not looking forward to where you can go next. And uh, you, you and I have talked a lot about this, Zach. For you going to Quantum, you've mentioned that that was quite possibly the best thing that ever happened. Uh, really a silver lining. Absolutely. That was... Uh... I, I think the best thing that, that could have happened in that situation, I loved Hillsboro. I loved living in Oregon and making so many friends and connections, um, going down to quantum. Uh, and you know, I can't say what would have happened if I stayed at Hillsboro, I would have made it work somehow. Um, quantum was fantastic. Um, got down there in the Phoenix area, uh, as far as flying conditions, it's sunny every day. And you also have, uh, a lot of those great mountainous, regions too for pinnacle landings like Halsey was talking about earlier. Um, right off the bat, I got three students, um, which was not something I consistently saw at Hillsboro uh, for, for flight instructors getting a load that early. Totally. Um, got three students, hit the ground running, and I flew six days a week uh, pretty much all day for the two years I was there. Uh, close to that. Um, I was either flying or doing ground instruction pretty much all day. And I got, you know, 1700 hours of dual given in about a year and a half. That's crazy. Um, 
So, so that was why I say it was probably the best thing because uh, I had consistent work uh, at Quantum and a, a great learning experience. And but I would one hundred percent recommend both those flight schools uh, to anyone. Was it? You know, I know that Hillsboro, and again, I can only really compared to what I was used to, but, you know, Hillsborough, I think provided great training. Uh, and I'm happy that I had my flight training there and I'm sure you are as well. Uh, but being in the flight school environment, it's not necessarily always reality, right? There's a lot of things that you would do that were like the Hillsborough way to do, you sure. know, and I'm sure quantum, you know, had its own little idiosyncrasies as well. Was it a hard adjustment to go from, kind of one big flight school to another big established flight school that probably has its own kind of tribal knowledge of how they do things. Absolutely. And it's exactly what you were just talking about. Idiosyncrasies, little differences. Um, every instructor had their own office. Um, the syllabus was, was very, uh, it was laid out by the flight school, a little different from Hillsboro, but everybody had the same syllabus and books and, around instruction. So I had to learn all that little differences in the teaching styles, um, which, which took me a little while to get used to as far as flying. Um, there's a maneuver manual, uh, for every basic maneuver and advanced maneuver we would teach. There were quantum steps to those maneuvers. And I had to learn those steps, practice those steps, and then teach them very quickly, uh, from arriving there. Um, an example would be, we practiced auto rotations with the governor off, um, which was very new to me, very unusual and uh, sounded crazy at the time, but ended up being a great way to practice throttle manipulation and being more hands-on the controls and the process of a power recovery. So little things like that. But once I got used to all those things and, and taught them so much, which is teaching them was how I learned them so well. Um, I think it, it was just one of the best things that could have happened to me at that time as an instructor and a pilot. When you're doing the governor off auto, I think I did a fair amount of those maybe back at Hillsborough kind of during the CFI training, or I might be mixing it up with the Schweitzer, but essentially you can come into your flare, give a little bump of throttle and then use the correlator by raising the collective, right? To bring that RPM right back up. Exactly. A correlator, does most of, of the work, I would say. Um, it's kind of halfway uh, or towards the end of your flare on the R22, you crack it, like you said, crack the throttle and slowly raise. And the needles actually match really nicely. Uh, there isn't a lot of, of twisting of the throttle to, to get them to match up in the green arc. Um, took practice, of course, but uh, we had students doing it very quickly, early on private students. so. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. You know, Hillsborough definitely didn't do it that way. Um, right. And I think maybe the times that I did do it was maybe when I was just doing a flight with like the chief instructor or some type of 141 check or something. Um, yeah. So you get 1,700 hours of dual. And it's great. I didn't realize you had that much. You're a good man. Uh, you're, <laughs> you're, I know that about you. You're very tenacious, you know. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me to hear that you did a ton of flight training oh, yeah. Uh, as a flight instructor. And, and if you're listening to the podcast, I've probably said it before, so I'm probably beating a dead horse here, but my personal opinion is being a flight instructor really makes you a well-rounded helicopter pilot. Uh, it's really your first time where you can start looking back and seeing students make the same mistakes that you were making and connecting the dots of saying, Oh, I get it now, you know, kind of taking like a step back, uh, almost like for me and playing football. It's like, I, I remember I would, you know, in high school, I didn't necessarily understand what the coach was trying to tell me. And then I started coaching and I'd be like, Oh, different perspective. Absolutely. I can see it now. And I kind of felt like that same way with flight instruction, especially with auto rotations. I mean, I'm pretty lucky that they didn't do interview flights <laughs> yeah. when I got hired because I probably would have not got hired. And then I even remember doing my 141 check. And, man, it was a, a bit of a disaster, um, yeah. actually. It wasn't a great flight. Shout out to Jared Friend for um, for for flying with me there and uh, keeping me on. And, you know, from that point, you just get better and better and better. So if you're listening and you have the opportunity to be a CFI, I would highly encourage it. There's other opportunities. You can 
go the ag route, you know, and work, work ground ag for a little bit and work your way into a pilot seat doing it that way. You know, you can go and fly, you know, 44 tours. You know, I think a lot of the Florida based tour companies are kind of lower time 44 helicopter pilots. So there's other options, but doing maneuvers, auto rotations off airports, it's the one time in your career that you'll get to do that. You know, how many autos, Zach, do you do a year now? Oh gosh, maybe five at recurrent. Yeah. And they're, they're, you know, I talked about this in last week's podcast with Ian. The companies are pretty conservative when it comes to autos, right? You know, oh, yeah. it's, it's kind of like a quote unquote auto that you do, you know, during your recurrent training. And so being a flight instructor, man, um, if, if you're listening right now and you're a 600 hour flight instructor and you're sick of it, just remember the grass is not necessarily greener. Right. This is a great time. Enjoy that time because um, it's the it's the one time you get the keys to a helicopter and get to go kind of go do whatever. I feel like yeah. doing off airports today, autos, steep approach, slopes, whatever it may be. So certainly don't take it for granted. So moving, um, you know, we're moving along our timeline. Um, you ended up working in the South Rim, Grand Canyon, Papillon, correct? I did. Um, and to touch on on quantum again and why it was so good for me. It was, it was kind of just a streamline for CFIs to get uh, up to work up at Papillon. Um, maybe when the time I was there, I think 10, 15 guys ended up going up to Papillon. And uh, I, I knew that was where I wanted to go. It was close to Phoenix and I've driven up there a few times and knew it was a place I could get my turbine hours quickly. Um, I just missed uh, the hiring season in 2016, I had not quite hit my thousand hours PIC yet, which, uh, made me stay for another year. And that's why I had so much instruction time. Um, but it was spring of 2017 when I went up and, uh, paid Mark diamond a visit. Um, Mark, unfortunately, uh, passed away a few months ago. It was very sad. Yeah. I heard about that. Um, all the best to his family and friends. Mark was a great guy. Um, we chatted there for a little bit, got the interview a few weeks later. <clears throat> interview was, was great. Um, you know, just, just kind of making sure that I could, I was teachable and, and I, I knew my stuff it was a great interview as well. Um, got the job started <clears throat> my, my training week there. And I believe it was March of 2017 and it was great. I loved working at Papillon. Were you in Whitehead there? together ever or was he before you zach left uh just a little bit before i got there shout out to whitehead by the way uh shout out to whitehead you know if you're in the helicopter community uh you might have heard recently our good boy zach whitehead was in a car accident um and he uh whitehead works with zach and i at Helicopter. we connect with each other daily all day you know and so a uh, pretty traumatic event for all of us, but I can report on the podcast breaking news that Zach is doing very well. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm anticipating a full recovery, you know, despite a pretty gnarly in injury, you know, and hitting his head pretty hard. So uh, shout out to yeah. Z Dub. We miss you, buddy. We love you. Miss you, Zach. <laughs> See you soon. Love that guy. Um, so you were in the, in the Long Ranger. I started out in the Long Ranger. Um, at that point in the year, they, they started out all the new guys and girls in the Long Ranger. Um, I, it didn't take very long at all. Like you said, you know, going from a Robinson to a, a Long Ranger is a pretty easy transition. Um, it was like five hours of flight training, check ride, and literally the day uh, of my check ride, we got back, landed the aircraft, kept it running. Instructor got out, and they loaded <clears throat> five passengers on the back. <coughs> oh, wow. Yep. That same day, it's like, all right, here you go. Have fun. Um, Don't die. She's, they still had the duels in on that aircraft, so they didn't put anybody up front. But literally, landing back from my, I think it was my route check ride to make sure all my routes are good. Loaded in the passengers, and, and the rest was it. I was flying laps over that canyon for months and months and months. That's amazing. Uh as much as I would love to continue to talk about the Grand Canyon, because I actually do have a lot of 
questions. I know it's a it's a great first opportunity. Um, just time consideration here. I kind of want to sure. fast forward a little bit um, and talk about uh, what you're doing now. You know, I know from Papillon. Uh, was it from Papillon you went straight to Airyback? Oh yeah, was, and and I was at Papillon by the way for less than a year. Um, that first summer leading into fall, I got uh, my 500 hours of turbine time very quickly, and that and that was about 400 in the Long Ranger. Then <clears throat> I was lucky enough to get about 100 hours in the EC130. Um, and as soon as I hit that that time, I started looking for um, EMS jobs back home. And that's when you picked up the phone and called your old buddy Halls. That's when I called you. Yep. Saw you on Facebook, and and that was it. Yeah, I remember. I was in Del Rio that day. Actually, I was working. That was my first base that I worked at. I remember chat with you. Always good to catch up yeah. with the old uh, cadre. And um, and then yeah, I mean, I think you got hired on fairly soon after, right? Yeah, I, I uh, flew back home for my interview with my RDFO. Went great. It was just a ground interview. Um, he took me out to Longhorn Steakhouse, mostly just getting to know me um, and me getting to know him and tell me about the company, offered me the job. Um, and I believe it was two weeks after that, I loaded up all of my life's belongings into my truck and left Arizona, drove up to St. Louis for new hire training for Air Evac in March of 2018. Yeah, so if you're listening and you're unfamiliar with Air Evac Life Team, a uh, very large air medical uh, operator uh, owned by GMR. Uh, GMR is a family of what? Air Evac, Reach, Medtrans, I think yeah, formal, formerly CalSTAR, GMR on the ground right. side of ambulance. So it's a very large, large Huge. company. Air Evac is a piece of it. Air Evac is based out of O'Fallon, Missouri. Um, that was my first experience in Missouri. And I have to say O'Fallon's yeah. quite nice. You know, so nice place. If you're about to go do air evac training, uh, and you're about to head to O'Fallon, it's a nice place. Uh, I enjoyed being there. You're gonna be there for a bit. That's some pretty long initial training. I don't know about you, oh, yeah. but I think I was there because there were some weather delays and things like that. Just over a month, I think. You know, yep, 30, 30 to thirty three days or something. Um, weather days. Yeah. What was, what was your experience with the training there? I mean, what, what, what did you take away? Um, I can kind of share my thoughts too. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I think there were about 10 guys, 10 new pilots in my new hire class. Um, and it was of course, uh, ground instruction for probably the first five days, just kind of the history of the company, uh, general operating rules. You know what we do the you know your basic day-to-day operation that kind of thing and a little bit on the 206 too um, and then it was probably at the end of that first week we started flight training and I think it was what five to ten hours max before you you get your check ride um, so they, they want to hustle you through the the flight training and they determine pretty quickly if you're gonna be able to to do it or not um, there were unfortunately some people that hadn't flown a bell in some time or hadn't flown in general for a while uh, that weren't able to get up to the standards quickly enough to to show that they're ready to go out in the field. Um, so if you are going to fly, uh, want to fly for Air Evac or any other EMS company, I'd recommend getting getting some currency flights, practicing a little bit before uh, you, you take the leap for new hire. But um, overall, great experience, nice hotel. Um, you know, they paid for, for pretty much everything, and I knew it was going to be a great company to work for. Yeah, you know, I kind of echo what you're saying, that there is an attrition rate. You know, it's certainly not a guaranteed thing uh, when you start training there, but they do a pretty good job. Um, it's fairly structured. Um, they're fairly good at communicating what they want to see and how to do it. You know, I think in those scenarios, too, it's important to go in with an open mind, you know, uh, open and willing to learn something new. Uh, I'm a true believer that anytime you get to fly with someone that's more experienced than you, whether it's more flight time or just more experience in a certain realm, uh, in this case, air medical, you can learn something, you know, 
they're not always the best instructors, maybe sometimes not even the friendliest people. Um, but usually you can take away something from, from a, from a instructor pilot, uh, not just as air medical, but really anywhere you go. And I, I find that the guys and gals that maybe don't do great and kind of fall out of, uh, you know, training at, at companies is because they're, they have the inability to want to accept feedback and critique. Uh, you know, it's a weird position. You know, you go from flight instruction, flight instruction where you're the guy and then you're flying tours or you're doing whatever else where, again, you're the guy. You know, you feel like you're a pretty accomplished pilot by the time you get somewhere. And then you have someone telling you that your approaches suck. Or yep. your steep approach at Air Evac is too fast. You know, um, I was, I flew for Maverick prior to Air Evac, and you know the way that Maverick did its approaches were shallow and quick. You know, at the bottom of the right. canyon, and then I had to go from that to painfully slow. You know, steep approach, which makes sure. sense for the mission. But I got this. I think my my instructor guy, his name was Howard, was yelling at me, hit me over the flight helmet with the fuel stick you know slow down <laughs> you know so yeah you gotta be open to instruction suggestion other pilots opinions you're not there for long and and you're not there to teach them anything and i think if you're, you're yeah. if you're being a kind of a, a jerk about it they're less apt to want to help you to try to get you to the finish line if you're struggling oh, yeah. a little bit but that you have a good attitude uh, there is portions of the air evac training that I was struggling with a little bit. Uh, specifically for me, uh, the MVG, you know, off airport section. Uh, oh yeah, me too. Was was a bit of a trip. You know, um, I didn't. I wasn't necessarily like catching on to it super fast. You know, um, being able to fly a super slow approach with little visual reference and having you know these goggles and having to use your peripheral. So for me, I mean, there was a point where I was, you know, a little bit in the hot seat, but uh, to my credit, you know, I, I wasn't, uh, wasn't going to fight, fight fire with it. You know, I was just going to yeah. uh, be open to their feedback and learn. And, and ultimately, um, you know, I did a couple of refresher flights with some different instructors, getting a different perspective and, you know, I was able to get it, you know, and, and have a successful couple of years at AREVAC. Uh, so I think it's important to have that open mind. Air Evac operates the Long Ranger. You know, they do all their training in the Long Ranger. And then they also operate uh, 407s. They have Air Evac branded 135s now too. But I, I think maybe they're – are they operated by Air Evac pilots or are they operated by Medtrans? We, we do, uh, as Air Evac, have some 135s now. Um, I think there's like 10 in Oklahoma. We're getting one in, in Georgia here. Um uh, in a few months, uh, we're, we're going to be opening an IFR base, um, which is interesting, kind of center of the state um, to, to cover people on, on weather days when possible. Um, so, yeah, and, and we are trying to expand uh, more 407s as well. And hopefully, as time goes on, uh, exchange the 206 for the 407. Um, you know, yeah, everywhere. there's, you know, um, I think it's easy to look at the 206 and kind of poo-poo on it a little bit, specifically for the air medical mission. Um, yeah. and for the most part, most of my time at air evac, other than maybe four or five months, I was in a, in a 407 and then I was at a base for yeah maybe four or five months. I was 206. And in that four to five months, I got quite a bit of 206 time. And honestly, I enjoyed flying the aircraft, uh, even for that mission. You know, the only gripe on it is the speed. You know, I never had any power issues, uh, very, you know, the 206, man, she's just like an old Cadillac. Drives, yeah. you know, so smooth. Um, you know, I feel like my, if there's any helicopter that I'm like, can fly the perfect approach with, it's a 206. You know, they're just, oh, yeah. Man, they're just, they're easy to fly. They're comfortable. They're smooth. They're just slow. Um, and for the air medical purpose, you know, I think, I think it works, you know. Um, what, what has been your experience? Because I know that your base is, is 206. I love the 206. Um, I, have, I have no complaints about it. 
Um, you know, of course, as a pilot, you want to fly a bigger, faster, nicer aircraft always if there's going to be one. But as far as what our, our job mission is, not mission, but the flights we do, um, my base specifically has pretty, in general, short legs. Uh, you know, 10, 15 minutes from hospital to hospital back to base because we're in the metro Atlanta area. Um, the only time it, it is aggravating, like you said, is when the speed comes into play when we're flying, you know, a 300-mile trip to the next state, Alabama, Tennessee, Florida, um, South Carolina sometimes. That's a really long way into 206. What was the um, flight that you did a, a few weeks ago? Uh, we went down to Jacksonville about three weeks ago, Atlanta to Jacksonville and back. Well, Atlanta, Macon, Jacksonville, back to Atlanta. And that's a journey uh, in, in any helicopter, of course. But that's that's a time when you, you'd like some more speed for sure. Yeah, where I was out in South Texas, the legs were usually always long. Yeah. So the 206 was brutal sometimes, especially on the nights. You know, you get a, a 206 uh, a, a call to head out to Laredo. Oh, yeah. Uh, then Laredo to San Antonio. You know, if you're getting that call at midnight, you're not getting back before 6 or 7 in the morning. You know, if you're it's in the 206, even the 407. Um, and, and you're in a situation where your your base is pretty close to where you live, right? Yeah, I'm about 25 minutes from my base. I, I consider myself extremely blessed to have that opportunity as a helicopter pilot. I know it's not an option for a lot of pilots, and, and they have to – stay at their base or, um, you know, commute a very long way, uh, on their work week, but I have a pretty short drive to work and it's, it's actually my hometown, which is awesome. Yeah. That's really nice. That, that doesn't happen. If you're listening and you think that yeah. that happens, it doesn't. Ian and I were talking about that last week, actually on the podcast, just that, you know, if, if you're from a podunk, typically if you're from a podunk community, then there's a shot that you're going to get a, you know, base, you know, in your hometown. Uh, Cause nobody else yeah. wants to live there. You're pretty blessed and fortunate to, to have something so close to the Atlanta Metro area. Yeah. I did know when I got into my flight training back in 2012, 2013, that I did eventually want to be an air medical pilot. Um, that was always my goal um, around that. I would do whatever it takes to, to got their base, to get there basically. Around that time is when uh, my current base opened up in, in Snellville, literally two miles away from the house I grew up in. And I'm like, that's me. I'm, I'm going to get there, whatever it takes. And Quantum, Papillon, got on with Aerivac. My first base was in middle Georgia. Then I got one a little bit farther north in Fayetteville, Georgia. And finally, two and a half years ago, um, I got Snellville, my hometown. Yeah, it's awesome, man. I'm really happy for you. And uh, no, it's huge. I mean, that makes, uh, you know, air medical is a pretty fun job, pretty cool job. There's obviously some things that are tough about it. Um, but having a, a light commute is a huge plus, you know, really, sure. really adds to it. Uh, for you, air medical, what do you love and what do you hate? So I will say that I love it much. I love way more things than, than I dislike. Um, one it's it's usually, in general, pretty slow-paced. Uh, you have time to come in, do your daily tasks, uh, pre-flight, get your paperwork ready, brief your crew. And then uh, there's a great chance that you'll be hanging out at the base that day. Uh, you can work out, watch movies, have a side hustle, like selling helicopters, which is what I've been doing, obviously, for about two years now, while I'm on the clock at my air medical job, which is great. Um, the flights are, are generally short, like I said, for my base, which is really nice. Um, occasionally a long flight, that's, that's not all that bad. Um, to get into a few things that I'm not too fond of, that I don't think anyone is extremely fond of, is night shift. Um, seven nights in a row, 8 p.m. to 8 a.m., uh, same situation. Try to go to bed around midnight, get into a nice deep sleep. Then 3 a.m., you, you get a flight request for a five-hour round trip. That's hard. It's hard. That's really hard. Yeah. Um, you know, you fix a cup of coffee and you go. Um, and you do get used to that to an extent, but 
you'll never get used to waking up out of a sleep and getting in the zone quickly uh, and going and doing that flight. You know what? You know it's coming. You expect it, but that's probably the most challenging part. Yeah, I mean, again, I've said it before on the podcast. That was a, a big struggle for me. You know, even on nights, you know, we could have a a night where we weren't toned. You know, no flight requests, but for me personally, just anticipating that there could be a flight request made it fairly difficult to sleep, you know? Oh, sure. And so it definitely knocks off your pattern. You know, I, I truly am a believer that um, it's one area of the industry that could maybe be reexamined, you know? Sure. Um, it's hard. You know, the easy answer is, well, just switch your schedule, you know? You know, when you're home, sleep all day, and then you're up all night. But the problem is, is, is without doing it consistently, your body just doesn't allow for you to do that type of change. You know, I, I, I think about it like that. You know, I was just in Thailand, as you know. Um, you know, that's a pretty much full switch time zone wise. And right. getting there, it took me, you know, five, six days to acclimate. And then coming home probably took me eight or nine days, you know. And so I find that, you know, the guys that are able to switch, good, good for them, uh, good for them. I, I, can, I can never do that. And so, you know, I do think as safety continues to be a huge push for air medical, they've made so many strides. And Aerivac especially has been at the forefront. Uh, and kudos to Aerivac for the, oh, yeah. the equipment they provide uh, with the glass cockpits, the autopilots, the training, uh, the continual training. They've they've made leaps and bounds. Uh, night vision goggles, two, two sets, one up front, one in the back. But, you know, I think at some point there should be a reexamination. Uh, just my personal thought of of how how maybe seven days in a row is not the answer. You know, I know some, some do three and then four days. You know, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but it's not humanly. You know, our, our bodies aren't built for that kind of work, in my opinion. So... I definitely think it's, it's not easy. Something that can be, you know, reevaluated. But um, sure, you know, the 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 time has expired. We're we're out of time, Zach. Um, oh wow! I know, right? Just that was fun. Yeah, it was fun. You did great, great job. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Zach, thanks so much for joining uh, the podcast, and to our listeners, thank you for listening. I get messages. People message me, Zach, and say they want more wow. podcasts. So Keep I want to give the people more podcasts. I've been slacking on it now for over a year. And um, I have a goal to produce and, and push out a potentially even weekly podcasts. I'm not committing to it. could be bi-weekly or bi-monthly, I should say. But uh, we're, we're getting there. So if, if you like this podcast, please continue to listen. Subscribe. So when I drop a new episode, you'll be notified. Uh, share it with your helicopter homies. And uh, tell them that uh, they should give it a listen. Uh, I don't know why I do the podcast. I like talking about helicopters, so it's fun. So I hope that's where our listeners get out of it. So please continue to sure. listen. Zach and I will be uh, invading. Well, I'll be invading Atlanta in about three weeks. Uh, and Zach is already there for this year's Heli Expo. If you're new to helicopters and you haven't been to the Expo, it's something that you should really consider doing, uh, especially from a student perspective. I think it's pretty uh, fairly inexpensive. You get a student pass or whatever. Uh, but even if not, it's still relatively inexpensive to go and just walk the floor. It's the one time a year that you have thousands of helicopter people in one spot. And it's, it's truly amazing to be connected and around everyone that's pretty like-minded when it comes to helicopters. You know, when, when, when you're walking around your normal life, you're not bumping into helicopter people. You know, and, and when you're at the HAI Heli Expo, everyone you're, everyone that's there is, is somehow related to helicopters. So uh, Zach, myself, and the entire Celicopter team is going to be on exhibit there. So come say hi. We're going to be at booth Charlie 4626. Okay, again, that's Charlie 4626. Come say what's up. We're giving away some swag boxes, telling people about what we do. And in case you don't know what we do, we help people buy and sell helicopters. Duh. It's helicopter. Come on, it's in the name. So love to see you. Uh, come say hi. Uh, tell us how much you love the podcast, and then maybe I'll continue to be motivated to do it. Uh, and Zach, thank you again for your time. It's been awesome. 
love chatting with you. Love hearing all the different stories. Any parting notes? For any me. parting notes for our listeners? Yeah, um, keep listening. Keep flying. Keep flying safe. Uh, if you're interested in, in getting into helicopter flight training, I highly recommend it. It's so fun, challenging, stimulating, uh, and it makes for a great career. So appreciate everybody listening. I couldn't say it better myself. All right, guys, Halsey Shutter with the Helicopter Podcast. Like it, subscribe, keep listening. Peace out.